0: This is Heart to Heart with Hospice Quinty on 91X. Heart to Heart features important and worthwhile conversations about hospice palliative care and end of life issues. Tackling the tough issues with tenderness and the difficult discussions with dignity. Here's Jennifer May Anderson. I'm joined
1: today by Sandy Sidsworth, who is the Executive Director of the Belleville Branch of the Canadian Mental Health Association. They run a bereavement group that specifically deals with the difficult issue of suicide and its impact on family and other loved ones dealing with grief. Sandy, thank you very much for coming today. Thank you, Jennifer. Could you tell me a little bit about your
0: suicide bereavement program? How does it work? How how long is it? We do both individual and support group for suicide bereavement strictly. Um, we run what we call bereavement clinics on Saturdays. It's quiet in the office. That's when we do our one-on-one work with those individuals that are impacted by the loved one's suicide. Uh, and then the support group is an eight-week program, and it really brings people together with that shared group, um, with that shared that shared grief. And... Um, It's unique because they understand inherently coming together they have all suffered one of the most traumatic losses that you can have and a lot of times feel alone in that loss. So we do the one-on-one work to see if we're dealing with um, complex guilt. Um, We know, too, especially for parents who lose a child, you can slide into a very dangerous cycle of maybe I shouldn't live either. And then once you bring and you do some of that front-end work and people move into the suicide bereavement group, they realize they really aren't alone. And um, it's a very it's a horrific club to belong to and that's what everyone says about the third or fourth night but they realize there are other people that understand the questions that they live with the uncertainties the you know the inherent guilt that's in the loss of something like that Um, Who left a note? Who didn't leave a note? And I'm not dreaming of my loved one. Why is that? So they get a chance to put it all out on the table in a very safe place. And there's some really good conversations that come from that shared experience. And it's healing. You see people starting to wear their grief differently. Um, For many people, it's right in front of them. and, And we talk that grieving and mourning that you're never going to be removed, that you don't mourn the person that you've lost. But what we try to do is work to get the grief that you carry it. You carry it in a way that allows you to move forward and that it's not blocking you. So we talk about the grief walking along beside you. And it's watching people make that shift. And part of that comes from knowing there's other people that have experienced the same type of loss.
1: I think that that's what we see in our bereavement groups at Hospice Quinty with those who have suffered perhaps a, a different kind or a more traditional sort of uh, bereavement and grief around someone who's, who's had a lengthy illness or um, that kind of thing. Those are the sorts of people that come to our group. And it's just knowing that they're not alone and that their experience isn't strange or unnatural, that it's very expected and, and part of it. Now, I know that our language around uh, mental health issues is changing and so how how are we talking about suicide differently like I know people don't want to say that so-and-so committed suicide because that brings us back to those days when it was yes. not legal right when it was a criminal they
0: suicided and, and it is talking about it as part of it's not content compton- you're not you're not punishing the person for the act of pain and I think that's very important because there's still certain segments of um, our culture or different backgrounds that still see um, suicide as wrong, as illegal, or um, against a religion, or an or. And, and it's an act of pain. It's an act when someone has reached a place that they can't see other options. It becomes a choice out of pain. And everyone who has experienced a loved one's suicide deals with the why. Why did they do it? How come? It's understanding that the time of the act, there is such pain, there's nothing else. And I think we start to look at that and and it starts to understand that in that context of... I have no other options. When someone has been hurt so bad, when inside hurts so much, when they can't see light, when everything is dark, this just, it's a release. It's a choice. And and these are all the conversations we have. This is not my value or my view, but this is the combination of the conversations that happen when people begin to understand what hurt their heart so badly that this had to be part of that release. And... The same thing as what's happening in the mind that makes this a choice.
1: I understand that uh, some people who are bereaved by suicide are haunted by those questions. Some of those questions that you talked about, why did this person take their life? Could I have somehow prevented it? And how um, do you at CMHA help people either one-on-one or in your groups uh, work through these kinds of questions that
0: they have after a suicide? It's constant talk. It is allowing a safe place to ask those questions and not fear answers. And a lot of those answers come from the individual themselves. So it's creating a safe place to put some of those darkest thoughts out on a table, take a look at them, have those conversations. And it's not assigning guilt, but it's creating a space to talk about why I might feel like that. And it is sometimes you're going, you're just supporting some of the most challenging conversations you can hear around the loss of a loved one. But it's those inside voices that need to come out. And you start to remove stigma, remove the the fear of the why, when you allow someone to put it out and look at it in the light, right? and And then examine it in a safe way. And that's all part of trauma we take what's internalizing and pulling it out and laying it with someone we feel trust we trust with that process and not making the decision for them but allowing them to look at it in this bigger scope with that support to see maybe there's a turn or an understanding the why very rarely gets answered you, you know it's Why does a lightning bolt hit? You know, there's always a why attached that will never receive a definitive answer, even with notes that are left and the reasons for the loved one. There's why this date, why this time, how come, how come, why? Um, But giving a safe place for someone to talk about these innermost feelings attached to their loved one's suicide gives them a starting point for healing.
1: And then I, I, guess, being okay with that why not being
0: answered, exactly. And that's the key. We may never get to the, we may never get to the why, and probably won't. But it's bringing that why forward as part of that grief burden, right, coming forward beside you. And it's, um, I haven't been asked these questions in a long time. It's really making me think. And it, it is about sometimes sitting in silence too, and not being, and not being afraid. Of that silence. You have to let people form their questions. And sometimes it takes time. And uh, a lot of times when we're doing, um, when we're in a traditional counseling role, there's the back and forth and the questions, open-ended questions. But sometimes, and especially in bereavement, and I think in any type of bereavement work, you have to be strong enough to sit in silence and not rush to fill it and wait for the people that you're working with to let their voices come to the surface.
1: How is uh, the bereavement or grief process different after a suicide
0: than, than after a different kind of death? We get asked that all the time. And first and foremost, I think it's people identify it as choice. And um, I think that's the hardest part, even when we're working with people who have done medically assisted suicide. We still have families that struggle with the why this date. Couldn't they have waited one more day, one more minute, one more hour? Because when we love someone, we want that time with them. So I think that's the the, the difference is, is the timing and why. And then it's always about um, why wouldn't they let me help them? Why, you know, or I was trying to help them. And that becomes different. That becomes that guilt that can really destroy um, the survivors, right? So I think there's that difference when you, you see the timing and the why and how come now or why did they wait for this day. And it, it's all those ambiguities of, of choice.
1: I know that uh, the medical assistance in dying, um, since it has become legal, these are questions that come up in hospice especially and it's it's determining for people is uh, a traditional bereavement support group going to be good for you? Like it really depends on how people see that that medical medically assisted death. If they if they see it as suicide, or if they just see it as sort of the trajectory of the illness has come to completion. And and those are the questions that that come up: Why now? And why not later? And, and those kinds of things. So in spite of the strides that are have been made in reducing the stigma of mental illness, I, I, it's still very much obviously apparent in our society, and how does that stigma affect those who are survivors of someone 's suicide
0: I think there 's still the stigma of the act itself, and um, you are seeing more and more in obituaries where people have fought you know um, uh, you know, had had courage in fighting their mental illness or they lost their, their they lost their battle with with depression, so there 's some identifying that. There was a mental illness at the base of this for what happened. But we still aren't having the conversations um, when someone is dealing with with suicidal ideation. We're not having the hard conversations about um, what's your plan. Uh, when do you think you might do it? We're afraid to get into that because there is that fear that if we talk about it, we're going to make it happen. So when people around us identify with that type of pain, and they start having those conversations, we we tend not to minimize it, but well, we'll get you to the hospital, or we can get you to see a doctor, or we, we can do this, and not understanding it's the I am identifying that I'm in pain. And we may not be able to fix this. So it's it's about being able to sit again and have those hard conversations. But we're still so afraid that we may trigger the actual act that we pull back in fear. And that, it, it again is allowing someone to say, I'm hurting, and being able to sit with them in that hurt. And what are your plans to do with that hurt? And it takes... I don't think there's anything worse than a parent hearing a child say that this might be where they're thinking because it goes right to the very core of how we protect the people we love. But it's being able to to sit back and say, Okay, so what does this look like for you? Can you share with me? And then seeing where do we progress from here? Is this just is this a thought we need to get our family doctor? What do we do next? And we we, we have a difficult peace in making that next connection because if they say they're okay we go okay you've been having a bad day but if my bad day goes on and on and on when do we have that conversation
1: if someone is a survivor of suicide um what can they do to get the help that they need
0: reach out to bereavement groups, like at hospice. I know you run amazing groups. Reach out to CMHA. Um, Connect with someone they trust. If you have a workplace um, um, EAP, connect with them. Find someone to talk to that will listen and not be afraid to hear what you have to say.
1: I know as I was preparing for this interview, I had some confusion around language. So we talk about survivors of suicide and, and survivors um, of someone who has suicided. So what, what are the differences and how do we distinguish between those two things?
0: We work with people who have survived the loss of someone to suicide. So um, our material is surviving suicide, but it means the person who left who is left behind. And um, It is specifically to the grief process. There are suicide survivors, of course, who have attempted the act and who live. But in in our terminology, when we're working around the bereavement piece, we are working with those who have survived a loved one's suicide.
1: Thank you very much, Sandy. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today.
0: Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. You've been listening to Heart to Heart with Jennifer May Anderson of Hospice Quinty. Their mission is to change the lives of the terminally ill, their families, and the bereaved for the better by offering support and companionship. Learn more about hospice at hospicequinty.ca and listen for Heart to Heart regularly at this time on Alternative Radio 91X.